I recently read that when archaeologists dig through the ruins of antiquity, they have one certain way to identify a place of Christian worship. They look for a cross. And when they find that cross painted on the wall or etched in a stone, they know they have found a church. Because since the beginning, Christians have identified themselves with the cross upon which Christ died. However, for the majority of the world in antiquity and now, the cross is not an occasion for worship or contemplation. It is not an identification of faith, but rather it has and is a point of mockery. In fact, 10 years ago on a campus, an Ivy League campus, during Holy Week in the middle of the night, students gathered to erect a cross and placed a sign over it so that when the Christians on campus awoke the next morning for Good Friday, they read the sign, rolling on the floor laughing. They mocked the cross of Christ. That is nothing new. In fact, several years ago, archaeologists discovered what is believed to be the first painting of the crucifixion, dated around 200 A.D. But it is clear the painting was not made out of a heart of devotion because it was a caricature, depicting one man worshiping another man drawn on a cross with the head of a donkey. The first painting we have of Good Friday was blasphemous graffiti. But that's not the worst. The worst is what we just heard read. When Pilate put over the head of a dying Jesus, the sign king of the Jews, which of course was not a tribute, it was a roast. In all three instances, the derision and the mockery wasn't exactly directed towards the person of Jesus. And it certainly was not directed towards the cross, for even the Romans knew the cross was too horrific to even joke about. In all cases, it was directed towards those who could possibly believe that not only is Jesus the Son of God, but that the Son of God could die in such a humiliating way. Even the Apostle Paul said, for most of the world, the cross of Christ is either a stumbling block or absolute foolishness. In their hearts, they say, Christians, we can see what you see in Jesus. But why the cross? Friends, that is the question I want us to consider this afternoon. Why the cross? Because everything depends on it. Why the cross? Why did the Father allow the cross to happen? Why did Christ allow the cross to happen? He could have called down 12 legions of angels, those who were at his birth, to rescue him in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he did not. Why did he allow the cross to happen? To answer that question, we'll look at the various passages from the Gospel of John. But before we consider the why of the cross, I want us to think about the what of the cross. What is it? And for that, we'll look to Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Hear the word of God. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stand forever. Let us pray together. On this holy day, Father, may we see Christ high and lifted up, and may you receive praise from our hearts. Speak to us, Father, for your servants listen. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Why the cross? First, what is the cross? In the sermon series the pastors have been going through in Holy Week, we've been answering that question. But according to Philippians 2, the summarizing answer for what is the cross is that that humiliating cross was the purpose of Jesus' life and mission. This passage, which I just read, is most likely an ancient hymn that Paul used to put on display the humble mindset of the Lord Jesus, which we as the church are to imitate. That is his pastoral purpose for Philippians 2. But it is clear from this text that the cross was not an accident. It wasn't plan B. It was not something that was forced upon him, but the humiliating cross was the purpose and mission of Jesus' life since the beginning. And this is clearly seen in the career of Jesus' life that Paul puts on display in verses 6 through 8. Paul, first off, begins in heaven. He writes, Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Never rush over that verse. Paul is giving us a crack into glory. An opportunity to imagine what God was like before time began. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, same in substance, equal in power and glory, eternally loving and being loved. Can you imagine how glorious it is? The splendor and the wonder and the majesty of it all. But in verse 6, Paul says the wonder, though, the greatest wonder of the pre-incarnate Christ is that he did not view that glory, something to hold on to, something to, to guard at all costs. But rather, he saw it as his qualification for his mission of descent. The point is, in verse 6, is that Jesus didn't one day become humble. He's always humble. And in his humility, verse 7, he became man. Jesus never ceased being God. But in some mysterious way, he limited himself and took on flesh. Two natures, one person, truly God, truly man. Astounding. That the creator of all things took on humanity. That he who formed you in your mother's womb was born of a womb. And though it still would have been beneath him, he could have been born a king in a palace with all the, the pomp and the fanfare, but he chose not. Rather, he chose to be born a slave of a servant woman of no significance, of no reputation. In humility, Jesus laid aside his majestic, blinding glory 
his eternal riches and limited his power and took on our frailty. And the point is that no one forced him to do that. No one humbled Jesus. Rather, Jesus humbled himself. Then lastly, in obedience to his father, as a humble slave, Jesus died. Even death on a cross, verse 8. Why does Paul phrase it like that? He could have just said Jesus died. Or he could have said Jesus died on a cross, but he includes that word even. Jesus died even death on a cross. It's almost as if he is sympathizing with the unbelief of Pilate and those college students and those of the world. We understand It's beyond comprehension. I mean, it's hard enough to get your mind around the fact that God became man and died, but dying on a cross? We understand that it defies human comprehension. And the only reason that Paul writes it is because that is what happened. And because it happened, it's important for us to understand what it entailed. First off, you have the physical agony and shame that Jesus endured. We heard it read today, and we've heard it read before. We've seen it displayed in some movies. He had his hands bound. His friends and his family deserted him. His accusers spat on him, struck him. They flogged him with a whip that had bones and metal embedded in its cords to ensure his flesh would be stripped. He himself was stripped naked. He had thorns driven through his brow, nails in through his hands and into his feet, and he was hung on a cross and made the point of mockery until he died. And when he died, they threw his lifeless body into a borrowed tomb. The Son of God. And I can't imagine the horror of it all. But friends, for Jesus, that was not the worst part. It was even more horrible than even Pilate and the Jews and the Roman guards intended for it to be. The greatest source of his pain were not those things. The greatest source of his pain was his spiritual suffering. That's what happened at the cross. Tim Keller makes it a point to say that when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Always remember, he never said, my hands, my hands, or my feet, or my feet, they hurt so bad, though they did. He didn't shout that because that was not the source of his ultimate pain. The source of his ultimate pain is what he lost, or rather who he lost. So many of us know too well that there's no greater agony than losing someone you love. And depending on how long that love was and how deep that love is, the greater the agony. But think about Good Friday. God the Father and God the Son, not just for a lifetime, but eternally loving and being loved And that is what Christ lost. Why? 
The Bible says, cursed is whoever hangs on a tree. At the cross, then, we're to understand that Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect sinless one, was taking on our curse. And therefore, on the cross, Jesus, he's experiencing eternal punishment, eternal hell, exclusion. And not just one, but for all of us. It would be like a zillion hells being compressed down into one and laid upon his shoulders. My love, I've lost you. That's what happened the day that Jesus died. All that the Father had been to him before that moment was taken from him. In that moment, he stood condemned. And Paul says that was the point of his life in ministry. Why? Why? Why would the Father allow that to happen to his beloved son? Why would Jesus allow that to happen to himself? The short of it is, is that Jesus died, friends, because he chose to die. And John tells us why. Jesus chose to die, according to John, first off, to fulfill God's eternal plan. His death was a death of obedience. He says it himself in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, Peter, these things that are about to take place must be so, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And John makes it clear in the passages we just heard read that Jesus was sovereign over every single detail leading up to and including his own death. John chapter 19, verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. This was to fulfill the scriptures, particularly Psalm 22, verse 18. God Almighty and his sovereign purposes so orchestrated the thoughts and the prayer and the mind of King David hundreds of years before who did not experience the physical and spiritual agony of crucifixion to write down Psalm 22 to point forward to the greater David who would. John chapter 19, verse 36, these things took place, that the scriptures would be fulfilled, that not one of his bones would be broken. In the Exodus account, in regards to the Passover lamb, whose blood would mark out the Jews for rescue, God so ordered that lamb that not one of his bones would be broken. Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. So on that Good Friday, when those soldiers came to break the legs of Jesus to ensure his death, they did not have to because he was already dead. Jesus says, no one will take my life from me. You will not have to break my legs because I am the promised lamb, the greater lamb who will take away the sins of the world. John chapter 19, verse 37. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. A passage from Zechariah where the context is such that the people of Zechariah's day were anticipating another day where they would weep and mourn as they looked on the one they have killed. And that day would become for them a fountain of forgiveness and cleansing. John, in the passages we just read, wants us to be sure 
that the events of Good Friday found their roots in the Old Testament scriptures for one particular reason, so that you and I might know that God has kept his promise. The seed of the woman has come and he has crushed the head of the serpent. In Jesus Christ, the Messiah has arrived to give life to all who might believe. Which leads us to the second reason Jesus died. He died to save sinners. And I know all of us here today know that intellectually. But do we? Friends, we needed saving. We need to be saved. One of the great reasons that the world mocks the cross of Christ and Christianity and our faith is because they do not believe that. But the scriptures are sure and clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and just one of our sins, the littlest of sins, the whitest of sins, was enough to necessitate the cross of Calvary. We needed saving. So how is God going to do it? How is a just and holy God, a righteous God, going to make an unjust, unrighteous, sinful person like me just while remaining just himself? How is that fair? we got a big problem on our hands. On the one hand, as those who live in a fallen, unjust, broken, sinful world, we need God to be righteous and just and holy unswerving in his character. Otherwise, the evil and the sin of this world gets away with it. We need him to put the world to rights. We long for that. We want justice. But at the same time, on the other hand, as sinful, unjust people, we need God to be merciful. Because if he's not, we're doomed. How is God going to be both just and merciful? The Bible tells us. The Gospels tell us. John tells us. Paul tells us. The answer is the cross. At the cross, the justice of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the grace of God, and the mercy of God kiss in Jesus Christ. Paul tells us at the cross, God is both the just and the justifier. And friends, the cosmic events that took place on Good Friday explain that for us. When darkness swallowed the noonday sun, those in attendance who had their wits about them would have remembered the ninth plague of darkness, which preceded all that followed, the death of the firstborn, identifying for the people of God that blood needed to be shed to shelter them from that coming judgment. On Good Friday, that darkness came, and judgment followed. But it did not fall on you, and it did not fall on me, and it did not fall on the soldiers or the mockers because God caused it to fall on his one and only begotten son. A just and holy God demands payment for sin. We need that to be true. And he received payment for sin. But friends, not by you and not from me but from his son. Every single one of our sins, past, present, and future, the curse was laid upon his shoulders. And the apostle John tells us the good news. He records it for us. 
that that debt was paid in full by the Lord Jesus Christ. When he shouted, it is finished, as Todd so beautifully reminded us of last night, that cry, it was not the concession of a defeated man, nor was it the relief of a dying man. It was the cry of the victorious Son of God that he has fulfilled his Father's mission that he has provided salvation for all who believe. And if you do believe, when Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried that so that you never would have to, brothers and sisters. Why the cross? To fulfill his father's plan? To save sinners? And lastly, if it's not already obvious, because he loves you. Because he loves you. The greater and the fuller reason for the cross is the glory of God. In his high priestly prayer, in John chapter 17, those first five verses, Jesus actually prays that the cross would come. Make it so. Why? So that I might glorify you there and you glorify me. But friends, Jesus is, has always been glorifying the Father. So why Philippians 2? Why did he come? To reveal the Father? Yes. To show us the way that new humanity in him ought to live? Yes. But what did he get by becoming man and dying, even death on a cross, that he didn't have before? It was you. Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured that shameful tree. And all of scripture testifies to the fact that, that joy, friends, is you. Put your name there. For you, he endured the cross. For God so loved you that he sent his only son to die for you. God proves his love to you in this, that while you were still a sinner and still a mocker, Christ died for you. Octavius Winslow says, who delivered Jesus up to die? It was not Judas for money. It was not Pilate for fear. And it was not the Jews out of envy, but rather it was the Father out of his love for you. Growing up every Easter, my grandmother, then my mom after her, both of whom are with the Lord Jesus this Good Friday, would give presents, Easter presents, to their grandkids and their kids. And I'm sure a lot of you are going to do the same. But friends, isn't it true that the more a gift costs the giver and the less the recipient deserves it, the greater the love of the giver is seen. On Good Friday, 2,000 years ago, God gave you everything. A people who deserve nothing. If you ever wonder if you were loved by God, if God could ever love little old you, Look at the cross and you will know.
Why the cross? Why? Why did Christ die to fulfill his Father's eternal plan to save sinners and to prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are loved beyond measure? Friends, do not let this weekend go by without contemplating the why of the cross. Everything depends on it. It is foolishness to the world. It is a point of mockery to those in the world. But for those who believe and are being saved, it is the power of God. Do you believe? Let us pray. Lord God, for our sakes, in love, you made Christ your beloved Son, whom knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Help us, Father, by your Spirit to believe and by believing that we might have life in his matchless name. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.